Welcome to Talking Absolute Worship, where we have reached um, the last week of Lent, uh, the beginning of Holy Week, uh, often marked by Palm Sunday. And many churches mark Palm Sunday, some churches mark Passion Sunday. We've had to make a choice and we've decided to go with Palm Sunday, though we may also talk about Passion Sunday. Um, for those of you who are looking for a way in to this this year. So to start us off, Lithan, how are you thinking about Palm Sunday uh, for this year? Um, well, I wouldn't is the start because I would always put the two together, but we'll talk about that a bit later about why I think it's important to have Palm and Passion um, put together. But if we're just trying to talk about the readings for Palm Sunday, um, looking at John, and it's striking that there's very few, what is it, four verses? Four verses um, to describe the whole of um, this, whereas so many of the other Gospels go into great lengths to describe getting the donkey or the two donkeys, depending on where you are. And John just goes, um, Jesus found a young donkey. <laughs> so, because they look, it's such a lovely story, isn't it, that one of, how Jesus must have prepared and what village and what they were to say and how that worked out. No, he just found a donkey in John. But where, will, where would I go with this is I might think about what did it feel to be in the cloud and spill the beans, which is a really good lectionary resource, almost as good as this one, that comes out as a PDF um, once a quarter. Um, say what would it be like to be in the clouds and particularly thinking about what life's like now where to be in a cloud we feel quite unsafe because we've got so used to going you know keep away keep away two meters apart you know crowds are bad uh, wear a mask what would it have been like how would we feel in a cloud and would it have felt any different to be in a crowd then not that there was a virus but how safe would it be to be in a crowd at that time as well? So um, with Roman soldiers watching, with um, the chief priests and scribes there who might think that you'd be doing things that you shouldn't and that would get reported back. And the whole not feeling very stable um, political situation. And then Jesus comes. And what would, you, if you knew Jesus was coming, how would you expect him to be? And what was he like? And how would that be? So, so there's a whole angle of how does it feel to be the crowd? Um, and then also the what does Jesus think he's doing with this? How much, how much has he planned and prepared? Why, why does he think this is the right statement to make? Knowing that it's going to be really unpopular. So last week, Rachel said something brilliant about in John. There's a whole lot of. The, the hour has not come. And then suddenly last week, we kind of got him going, the hour has come. And then he does this thing that's, that's guaranteed to set people off. And, and because of all of the scriptural stuff. So um, in John, it does say um, it's to fulfill the scripture, really, as it's written. Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's calf. So he's He's already plugging into that going, I am the king, which will upset the chief priests and scribes because it will upset those who expect the king to come as a warrior. And it will upset the Romans because there's not supposed to be any king that they can't manipulate. So why is why does Jesus do this in this way? And um, there are all sorts of things you can say about why does he do this? And probably, you know, from John's perspective, it does look like it is just, this is who I am. And John, we've already had the cleansing of the temple with John. He does that much earlier, or John puts it much earlier. There's, you can decide uh, with biblical criticism what you want to do. But he kind of, he takes that, let's really upset the religious leaders out from from that their upset is all about what's happening when Jesus enters Jerusalem and makes that statement and then I always try and work out so where what does what does this mean for me 
And I suppose that's my struggle with looking at Palm Sunday on its own is I can go and I'd be someone going, yay, it's Jesus and loving him for who I am and shouting the hosannas. But we all know there's more to the story than that. But I'll, I'll leave it there and we'll come back to other things later on. Thank you. Uh, great start. Um, you, you reminded me a little bit when you started talking of um, something I, I'm, I'm fairly sure I've read it about 20 years ago, maybe maybe more, um, in the old magazine series called the Expository Times. Who remembers that? Those green things. I don't know if it's still going, the Expository Times, but they used to have sample sermons, didn't they, for the coming um, months? Um, I used to subscribe to the I think it said suppository times. <laughs> <laughs> It will forever be known now. Um, so, um, and I'm fairly sure it was in there um, that somebody wrote a sermon that powerfully affected the way I've almost always preached on Palm Sunday. And that was to take this, this, this idea of the crowds. And what they did was they kind of superimposed onto the story a, a kind of a tourist map of Jerusalem um, and, and followed the... the, the the journey um obviously thinking of other gospels as well or thinking that john had moved the cleansing of the temple um and it really happened in this week um followed the procession from the gate to the temple and um describes going past the antonia um barracks um where the soldiers would have been nervously stationed and they and the, and the sermon just did it so well described the young conscript soldiers um have been drafted in expecting trouble hoping there wouldn't be any um hoping they wouldn't have to go out and get involved in violence in a city that they had no real part of but had been conscripted uh, and holding their spears with their knuckles going white as this procession gets closer and as the procession gets closer it gets smaller and you saying the stuff about how did it feel to be in the crowd always makes me think of that crowd getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as this journey continues until they get to the temple and in one of the gospels it says the children were singing um because they're the only ones left who they think won't get um arrested it's the children a, a bit like you see children throwing stones in the israel-palestine conflict because they assume the children won't get attacked well i suppose that's not no longer the assumption um but back then this procession had dwindled because of the growing seriousness of what they thought they were involved with um so i i think that's a that's a powerful perspective to take yes ruth mm. yeah that i agree with with both of you and yes thank you Lytton. it's i think that the danger of palm sunday is that you know we know the story so we retell the story and we kind of forget the context of then and forget the context of now. So I like your idea of thinking, you know, what, what does it feel like to be in a crowd now? And what did it feel like to be in a crowd then? And and how do all those events land for us and for then? Um, so yeah, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be done there, which I, that isn't the way that I'd gone just yet, but um, uh, I think I would add some of that in, definitely. Rachel. The other thing about um, crowds is that we've got stories in other places of um, Jesus knowing exactly what's going on with the sort of smallest individual person in a crowd. Um, so you've got the, the woman who comes to him and tries to just secretly touch his coats and you've got Zacchaeus who Jesus sees from within the crowd. Um, you know, you've got Jesus sort of knowing and seeing the individual. Um, so uh, thinking about how it felt to be in that crowd, um, particularly knowing perhaps if you knew that Jesus had got form on, you know, picking out, <laughs> picking out people, did you want, do you want to be noticed? Do you not want to be noticed? Um, yeah, that's quite interesting. I like that. I, th I think that's, um, 
an interesting perspective about Jesus and crowds. Um, he knew about crowds. He, he knew how they worked, didn't he? And he, the, the dynamics of crowds and how to interact with them. Um, I had a, a quick look um, this week at um, Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan um, the last week um, because they have a very particular understanding of how this what this crowd was about and why Jesus did that and why Jesus went through that gate at that particular time and uh, I, I I think I looked at Borg and Crossan last year or the, or the year before and um, wrote some stuff about some little monologues of people who were involved <clears throat> which might be a way to go with telling this story I know one of them was Barabbas and one of them was the donkey seller. We can't use the donkey seller this year because it's John. <clears throat> um, and one of them was um, Simon the Zealot um, describing how he had gone about the crowd as one of those whipper-uppers. Um, and he'd assembled some of his friends to go around giving out palms or telling people what to shout, what the slogans were. Because these... These demonstrations that you see and the crowds that we see are you know, are orchestrated. They're not all, and they don't just happen out of nowhere. Uh, slogans appear and placards appear and stuff appears. Um, and so um, there's no evidence for this in John or, or or Mark or Matthew or Luke that they went as as provocateurs um, in this crowd, but it, it kind of makes sense and. <clears throat> fits in with what Cross and, and um, Marcus Borg uh, see as a very deliberate counter-protest that Jesus had deliberately organised in order to counter the imperial procession that was perhaps coming in from the other end of the city with uh, Pilate at the head of the army. <clears throat> um, and that this was a a counter-protest, and we're, we're, we're used to counter-protest, protests and counter-protests nowadays, aren't we, in a very organised way. So I think there's an awful lot of mileage in the idea of thinking about this crowd and what it was for and why it was assembled and what Jesus was, was up to. Um, <clears throat> so thank you for that, Witham. Uh, and I, I understand you've got more to say about about passion, which I think will take us further than maybe Cross and, and Borg go with this story, which I think you know will be a will be a good thing to hear. Rachel, where where were you going with these readings? Um, well, I'd like to extend the John reading just by a few verses, really, because um, I don't like it when things cut off in the middle of a paragraph. <laughs> I would like to get to the end. Um, and so I'd like to go on to, to the end of verse 19, which is where the paragraph ends in my Bible. And um, what struck me um, reading about it this time is how the, the passage about um, Jesus entering Jerusalem is kind of sandwiched between mention of Lazarus. Um, he's mentioned just before and he's mentioned uh, just in those few verses that I've added on. Um, and so that made me think, obviously, with Lazarus, we think about him dying and then being called back to life by Jesus. And the contrast between Lazarus's journey from death to life and Jesus's journey here, which we know with hindsight is a journey from life into death and then back out to life again. But um, that I, I kind of noted that that contrast um, which you do get in a couple of hymns around Palm Sunday, but but generally I don't like Palm Sunday because you have this, churches like to make it a jamboree, don't they? It's so, oh, let's all, you know, let's prance around and wave our arms about with our little palm crosses and let's all, you know, shout and imagine we're in this wonderful procession. And I'm always thinking, yeah, but, you know, I know what's coming. <laughs> I know what's coming, which is, I think, what, what Lithin's going to talk a bit more about later. Um, this just struck me as yet another one of Jesus's provocative actions. And I 
said for last week, you know, Jesus just being who Jesus was, was a massive, you know, look, right, come and get me kind of thing. You're either going to like me or you're going to hate me. Um, and just that whole conflict that, that arises when we face Jesus. Um, and I felt like this is just another one of those instances where Jesus is saying, here I am. <laughs> Um, what are you going to do with me kind of thing um, it also struck me that we're so used to having quite a short um, thing you've got Jesus coming into Jerusalem and then you quickly move to the events of his arrest and crucifixion but here you've got another six chapters before Jesus even gets arrested um, so John is obviously you know, using it as a great um, <laughs> as a great sort of teaching opportunity um, and to maybe think about uh, the significance of that. Um, I'm all over the place because I really find Palm Sunday quite difficult. And I, I only had chance to really reflect on that last Lent um, because I realised when we went into lockdown and kind of a lot of the Easter stuff didn't happen, uh, I felt really relieved um, and then I noted that for the previous few years I've either managed to be on holiday during Holy Week and I've just come back in time for Easter Sunday um, or I was on sabbatical so I've kind of neatly avoided um, Palm Sunday and Holy Week for quite a number of years and I wondered what was going on in me to make me uh, want to do that and I realised that um, Part of it was a, about sort of personal um, emotion, I think, that um, particularly it's, I, ha I had a period of time where I felt that the kind of leadership I was offering a church wasn't the kind of leadership they were looking for. Um, and I, was, I wasn't quite what they wanted. Um, and so even though I was sort of saying what I felt was what God wanted us all to hear, um, it was always kind of blocked. And I was sort of told, you know, well, I'm not I'm, I'm not a good leader. I'm a rubbish leader. And so I think a, a whole lot of my stuff about Palm Sunday and Holy Week was really tied up in that rejection, those feelings of rejection. And how can I convey anything of the sense that Jesus wasn't what people expected and wanted? Um, and it all moves very quickly into, um, you know, into violence. Uh, how can I convey any of that when I feel really on the brink of um, not being able to talk about it? So I do really struggle with um, with the whole jollity that sometimes churches want to put onto this Sunday. Yeah, Ruth. Well, thank you for that, Rachel. I mean, what, what struck me as you said it was you said a leadership that wasn't what people wanted, which seems to be exactly what we've said and what John says about Jesus so I think I think it feels as though you've got something really important to say about Palm Sunday and and thank you for pointing out that yeah as we're sticking with John that that John doesn't rush I, I mean I've I've long felt in ministry that that a week is too short holy month would have been better or holy six months might work even better you know that because it is that for for all of us in leadership of trying to work out, you know, how do you do Palm Sunday and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday and it's all in a week and there's a lot to prepare. Um, but John says, right, you need to understand this bit. Now you need to take some time out to really think and really get to grips with all of this teaching before you're ready to hear about the arrest and the crucifixion and the resurrection. Um, so I think John and you are saying the same thing which is let's not rush here and let's not get the emotional pull of the crowd so strongly that we want to be you know yes singing and dancing and, and maybe it helps to remember that that Hosanna means save us and I, I say that to remind myself because it is it's Hosanna's what you say on Palm Sunday and it's a, you know, it's a hooray thing you know save us so maybe there's, a, there's something here about, you know, if we cried out, save us on Palm Sunday, save us from what? And, and you seem to be saying, save us from being sucked along by the crowd into a jamboree. And I think we've all, we've all said it in different ways. 
I, I think that's a very powerful um, thing to say. I was kind of struck by the way both both Rachel and Lithan, with slightly different words, um, said, this is Jesus saying, here I am. What do you want to do with me? <laughs> um, and I think Lithan put it something like um, John, John saying, this is just who Jesus is. That's why he did it. It's just who he is. And Rachel said, here I am. This is, this is me. Um, uh, deal with it. Respond um, to, to, to this. This is what I'm offering. Uh, take it or leave it. Um, which is maybe a theme that we looked at a little bit last week, wasn't it? Thinking about um, Jesus offering that moment of crisis and choice in people's lives, um, where he says, "Here I am." Um, and I, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I very much chime with trying to squash it all into Holy Week. We, we just, you know, I hesitate to say wasted. Um, six weeks doing Lent, <laughs> where we think, what are we going to do for another week of Lent? And then suddenly we have to do all of these things in one week of Holy Week, which um, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who comes out at the end of it feeling utterly ringed out and perhaps without the resources to celebrate Easter Day with as much. Uh, joie de vivre as, as, as you think you might because uh, East, Easter Day is at the end of a very long traumatic week. I, I just think that's really honest and brave of you Rachel to lay that open for us a bit. The emotional impact of preaching and leading worship on this stuff and being aware of how it affects us and who we are and how we're leading God's people is a, is a really important factor to take into account. So um, I think you've done us all a service in uh, in saying a little bit about about that and how that works in your life. Ruth, where where were you going to go with these readings? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I started thinking, and it sounds a bit like your, I've really got to be careful, expository time. Um, <laughs> so, um, because I it, I was lucky enough to, to go to Jerusalem a couple of years ago and stand on the Mount of Olives and look at, and you know, I'm, I'm not very good at, um, I'm all right with maps, but I'd ne the photographs of, you know, this is this and this is that, had never quite conveyed the geography to me of standing on the Mount of Olives and then going down. We travelled down and down and down and then up to the gate and into the city and then, and then you know, up to, to where Golgotha may have been um, outside the old city, the, the former walls um, and, and the place of the garden. And this sort of, uh, I'll try and do it the right way around, which is the wrong way around to me on the screen. So so starting from the hill and going down and then up again and then up a bit more feels to me like the kind of the emotional journey of Holy Week. And so I was sort of starting to think about, you know, how I would bring that together and, and help people be kind of more ready for the whole of Holy Week. I think I've done that quite often on Palm Sunday, said, you know, let's not get carried away with the cheering here because we need to be ready to do all this other stuff, this harder stuff. So in my mind, there was kind of the, the geography and the, the physical journey and the kind of mental journey we're going to take. And then I got absolutely caught up, caught up, stopped short by the bit that, because again, we don't always look at the John one, um, but that John says, you know, all this happens, the, the great crowd, and they come in, and the palm branches, and the hosannas, and the donkey. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So there's something really weird that, <laughs> that having thought about the crowd, the disciples are kind of, what? Are they are they joining in with the palms? Are they? And presumably they're following the donkey, but they're all they've got no idea what's going on. And I, I kind of feel that I want to say something of that to people about Holy Week that our expectations could be completely overturned. The expectations of the crowd certainly were. They expected maybe King Messiah saving. You know, here's the one who's going to overthrow the Romans, whatever. 
the disciples were expecting, well, I don't know, but they weren't expecting what they got. And can we somehow journey into Holy Week not thinking that we've got to do this and then we've got to do that and we've got tick off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday prayers, maybe Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. But I think for me this year, um, I'm being challenged to, to, to lead others in worship and challenged most of all for myself to say, can I travel into Holy Week like the disciples, ready to say, I don't really understand and that this will only make sense in retrospect, that the, the true perspective will only come when I get to Easter Sunday and I may be exhausted and I may be struggling to find the joy that I need. Um, but then I might be able to look back and make sense of it. And I think this year, maybe God wants to, me to make some journey in my heart where I can't see this is where I'm going to be going. But, I, but I've got to step out and follow follow this strange man on a donkey and, and see where I end up. So that, that for me, I wasn't expecting to get there at all, but the, kind of that's, that's where I'm, at least I'm starting from. Yeah, listen. I don't know. <laughs> so my, my question is, when does John count Jesus as being glorified? Ooh. Because I'm, I'm just thinking... I just love all of that, that what Ruth said. And I thought, but even on Easter Sunday, they, they don't really get it, do they? So is the glory, is it a bit, you know, just post-resurrection, but not on the first day when they've had time to get used to the idea? Is it ascension? Is it Pentecost? When, but Pentecost isn't really about Jesus so much. So I just wondered when the point that they get it actually is. I don't know the answer, that's just something I'm wondering. Well, and, and sorry, I haven't got time to flip back quickly, but there's the bit, isn't there, of the voice comes from heaven and says, um, I am, I have glorified you and I will glorify you again, or words to that effect. Somebody else will be quicker than I am with, with getting the exact verse. That bit's to come, which is actually in the reading that we had for the, for the previous Sunday, which comes just after this. Oh, so, like, he's got us hopping about. That yeah. So it's in verse twenty-eight of this same chapter. Ah, okay, yeah. So, so there's there's something, yeah. That that's a re. I love that question. I wouldn't ask a congregation because I've got. A, I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> or maybe they, other people might have a better idea. Yeah. May of course, <laughs> may of course be that there's not just one moment in which Jesus was glorified. Yep, and again. Are the disciples pointing us towards Jesus is always glorified? I mean, it, if you think of John and, and the prologue and the logos, maybe Jesus was never not glorified, if you see what I mean. Um, but we see it at different times. Mm -hmm. Making it sound like a John Lewis advertising slogan, ne never not knowingly glorified. <laughs> Jesus, <never> not glorified. <laughs> Rachel, you were going to add something. Um, just picking up on what Ruth was saying about expect expectations because uh, one of the things I'd written down was um, what what's Jesus doing that we're not expecting um, as a sort of general uh, question um, to myself but um, because what Lytham pointed out about Jesus just finding a young donkey um, really jumped out at me um, and also that I, I read it several times and and you never so you don't kind of have any talk of a procession in these verses. Jesus finds a donkey and sits on it. So then I was thinking, well, you really, you could have just got, there happened to be a crowd and Jesus, you know, just sits there on the donkey for a little while because it doesn't really talk about the procession. It doesn't talk about them walking on anywhere. It, the, the people go out to meet Jesus, but it doesn't say Jesus goes in. Um, so there was just a whole lot of stuff going in in my mind. How much of this story have I invented? Or, you know, do I just, like you said, um, Phil, you know, I, Easter becomes like Christmas. It becomes a collage of all the Gospels kind of chucked together somehow. Um, so I liked, yeah, what you were saying about expectations, Ruth. Um, it really struck me in the same, similar way. I, yeah, it is a collage, isn't it? Uh, and it's... I, I I suspect it's futile to try and get away with that um, and try and say, oh, we're just doing John this year. 
Um, so forget everything else that anyone's ever said about Palm Sunday. This is this is what we want you to think about because as soon as they hear it, they'll be in their childhoods remembering waving palms and throwing cloaks. Um, so yeah, it, you you can't get away from that collage idea. Um, but I do think it is worth just pausing to think about the the completeness of what John's trying to say here. Yeah, Ruth. Well, just as you use the word collage, um, what's great about a collage is to look at the picture, but then also to appreciate, oh, look, you know, in this bit, that's how they've done that bit. So maybe that's what we're offering people. We're not saying don't look at the whole picture of Palm Sunday, but I'm very struck by Rachel saying, yeah, the crowd went out to meet Jesus. Jesus sat on a donkey. Go home. Um, you know, that I wouldn't do that to a congregation, I don't think. Um, but to say to them, let's just focus for a moment. Let's just, you know, zoom in on this bit and to use the Gospels to say that's what this bit of the collage is done by this Gospel writer in that way. And yes, to link it to, I mean, I'm, I'm glancing in my diary, in my, diary, my Bible now, reading on. Um, you know, the, the, we've got the Greeks who wish to see Jesus and we've got Jesus speaking about his death. Um, and then we've got this whole washing the feet. There's loads more to come in, John. So mm. he he doesn't want us to rush from triumphal entry to Good Friday or even to Maundy Thursday. There's, there's, there's a load of pausing and stopping. And I think the idea of focusing on bits of the collage really appeals to me. It's more it's in John's gospel, the way I, I haven't noticed that. So thanks for drawing that to our attention, Rachel. Um, it's not it's not a procession. It's a photo opportunity, isn't it? It's almost <laughs> like Jesus is saying, ah, there's this bit from Zechariah that says there's going to be a donkey. So I'll go and sit on one for a bit so the crowds can see me do it. And it it, I, it changes it a bit in my head. What, what John's trying to do here um, with the uh, symbolism of it uh, uh, and what's happening. The other thing that bothers me about crowds and the way we deal with Palm Sunday is, and I've done this, um, and I'm sure probably you all have as well, um, that we, we talk about the crowds on Palm Sunday and we equate that with the crowds calling for Jesus to be crucified and we say they were the same crowd. Um, and I, for the last few years, I've been thinking, who... How, wh why are we saying it was the same crowd? Because they say people are hypocritical, aren't they? And how how fickle we are. Um, but it, it doesn't have to have been the same crowds at all that were calling for his crucifixion and that were assembling at the gate. It might have been a group of poor people longing for salvation at the gate, and it might have been a group of more powerful people with vested interests gathered to call for his crucifixion. I, I, it's always kind of jarred a bit with me when we make those easy assumptions about crowd uh, what, what was happening on this procession and, uh, uh, and what was going on and uh, so I've kind of vowed in my own prayers to be a little bit more careful about that I think to not to make those kind of assumptions about the story which aren't in there it doesn't say this was the same crowd anywhere <laughs> um, but well maybe they were maybe they weren't but we don't know it, it's our own we add stuff to the story, which I suppose is is good. And I, I kind of quite there's a little bit in my head that's set off ticking in the background. That I'm trying to ignore about Ruth confusing the Bible with her diary, um, <laughs> and there's a bit of my head trying to work out whether that's actually quite a nice thing. Um, so the Bible, the Bible is my diary. It, it determines what I do day to day. <laughs> but maybe that's a bit of a stretch. Um, <laughs> there you are. I'm trying to rescue you from that one, Ruth. Um, the Bible is my diary, and I said it on purpose because I mean this. <laughs> so there. Um, okay, I, I, we've got lots of conflicting stuff in our minds about um, Palm Sunday and how we do this. Uh, I'm now guessing that nobody's going to suggest that we get people lined up throwing cloaks and waving palms, given some of the things that we've said already, and given the, um, the, the, the situation with lockdown that we will still be in. Um, on Palm Sunday. So 
Um, listen, I hope we've bigged you up a bit now about <laughs> giving us all the answers uh, to this with your exposition of the, the glory of Passion Sunday over Palm Sunday. Um, what else have you got in mind for worship um, this coming week? If I was in a building for Palm Sunday, I would still call it Palm Sunday, but um, we wouldn't just stop at Palm Sunday. So we would do a bit of a procession with cloaks and palm branches and whatever and giving out palm crosses. Because I think I've said before how it always strikes me going round to visit people, um, how many still have their palm cross up all year round. And I think just that renewal and having something to look at that's both Palm Sunday and Good Friday is quite important so um, quite often I do kind of we act out the story from Palm Sunday to Good Friday in church on on Palm Sunday and part of that is some people will engage some will come to things Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday some will come Thursday Friday some just come Sunday and Sunday and there's such a danger that you just go from Hosanna, forgetting the Saviour thing, yay, it's Jesus, to yay, he's risen again, without really doing the journey in between. And so um, some it depends what church I'm in as to how much physical walking we do. But if possible, we walk around. So different parts of the building will have names on. So, you know, the upper room and... Um, the temple and we will be a noisy temple and I might get someone to act out being Jesus and turn a table over um, and kind of at each stage at each station there's a time of reflection and prayer and bits of um, different hymns to kind of intersperse and and we do get to um, the bit I always love doing which now Phil has ruined completely is when we when we're at the pavement, so when with the crowd, I hold up little signs that say, "Kill him, kill him, crucify him, crucify him," and then I I remind people that they've just been the one shouting for Jesus' death, and it is quite a profound. It might not have been the same crowd, but it is quite a profound moment of saying, you know, we cannot stand aside from what happened, um, in some senses, and then, and then we go to the, um. Yeah, so we've done we've done the garden, lots of different bits. Yeah, and we end with Jesus going to the cross. So we're kind of getting ready for Good Friday. But if you don't do Good Friday, you'll have done enough then to go on the next day. So that's my visual one. I'll let Ruth speak and then I'll come up and say the other idea. Sorry, it was just, uh, I love the idea of getting people to journey, to do it to make the journey and I don't think that's then saying it's the same crowd um, and I like the, the your sense of you know you have said crucify him because that takes us out of the whole anti-semitic bad Jewish people crucified Jesus um, and and get gets us to a point of it, do you really think you would have been any different um, you know there's a there's a Roman soldier standing there with a spear um, and someone says, so, you know, whose side are you on? The man with the pointy stick. Um, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm going to just play it safe. Um, and, and, and I, you know, Jesus got himself into this mess and presumably is going to get himself out of it. Um, and I think that that sense of our identification of you know, this, this was just people, people like us. Thank you. I wouldn't want to, I certainly wouldn't want to ruin that, Lithin, and I think there is something very powerful. If you're going to ask a congregation, which we often do, to shout Hosanna, Hosanna, we also ought to ask them to shout crucify, crucify. Um, if we're going to get them to identify with that part of the story, we should get them to identify with the whole of the story uh, with their voices rather than just say we're the goodies in this. Um, I think that's, yeah, absolutely with you there. Now, Rachel. Leading on from that, I, I was thinking that I'd try to lead some kind of um, reflective time where the questions and the space for people to think about this, but questions are asked about where do we, um, where do we kind of, um, where do we exalt Jesus in our daily living? Where, where is, you know, Jesus at the centre of our attention and we're doing all the 
you know, waving and marvelling at how wonderful he is. Um, and where where are those times when um, we're working against him um, and shouting crucify? And actually, I'd add even um, based on the thing that Ruth said um, about Hosanna that showed me, where do we need to shout, save us? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Okay, you sounded like you were moving on to some more ideas, Lithin. Yeah, so <clears throat> this year, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. So I've, I've written reflections in the past. I might, I might consult the film, join some of them together. So we've got quite a few different reflections. Um, that we can then ask different people to record and share together so that you have different voices being the voices from the, the journey through from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. And, oh yes, uh, let's see if I can share screen. Ah, that's right, so. Talk I'll yourself through it. it. <laughs> I know, I do have to, because it, it, the share screen thing comes. So, this person called Liz Crumlish in actually March 2008, I used it in a sermon once, did a meditation for Palm Sunday that I think is really, really good. Um, her blog is called Journaling, but I found if you put Liz, and I think it's with an S, so that makes it easier. Oh no, it's with a Z, but Crumlish is a useful surname like Nevard to spot someone. So but you need to go back to March 2008 in her blog, wrote a really good reflection. And again, it's what I like about the end of it is being the people on um, at the pavement are saying we wouldn't, we would be against the crowd going, no, no, save Jesus, save Jesus. Wouldn't we? Well maybe we'd have calmed our jets a bit. There's no point in all of us coming to a sad end. We could have at least whispered, leave him alone, or to be on the safe side, we would have kept quiet. And I just love that, you know, what would we really have done? Because we like to think that, like Phil was saying, we like to think that we'd still be going, save us, yes, he's the one, but would we actually be the ones? Even if we'd say, well, I'd never say crucify him, would we actually be able to stand up against um what's going what's going on and i love the bit then she goes don't we make you proud it's really it really does stick stick with me and then for a song because i've heard me once oh the screen sharing thing just gets in the way doesn't it there we go um the psalm that none of us have talked about starts with give thanks to the lord for his good his love endures forever and chris tomlin's written um a worship song that basically that's what it is and it's again one to start Palm Sunday although I expect if we did that lots of congregations would go why haven't we sung this 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 and this it is one of the Sundays where if you deviate from the regular hymns and tunes you can be in trouble but it's a it's it's a song of praise it's quite long actually five minutes 25 it's quite a lot of time because it, it, it's a worship song. So the idea is that you repeat the lines and you kind of are drawn into being lost in wonder, love and praise. But it's a really good one. So if we wanted to have some of the psalm coming in, then that would be a way to do it. Okay, thank you. Um, I thought you were about to play it. That's, uh, that's why I paused. No, I decided, I decided I wouldn't. People can look it up for themselves. Marvellous. Um, Rachel, where, where where were you going with this this week? Um, well, I've already said about the kind of reflection, getting people to think about um, what, uh, where we want to, where we exalt Jesus, where we are turning against him and where we want to cry out for to save us. Um, and I feel that... Uh, I'm going to mention COVID now that, uh, you know, that's, uh, there's a lot of all of those things in where people are, isn't there? That one minute we're really high because, you know, all the, the vaccines coming out and this, that and the other, and then, um, oh, but we're really low because there's record number of people who've died again today or whatever. Um, and then somewhere in the middle is this sort of sense of, you know, save us Lord. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I feel that that whole kind of range of emotions is quite 
topical, um, if you like. I was looking at hymns and um, I was quite disappointed in some ways that it's hard to find anything much other than the um, sort of traditional ones. And there's only a couple of those that I can really stomach singing. Um, and one of them is Ride On, Ride On in Majesty, purely because you get the verse where it says, in lowly pomp, ride on to die. And I feel that, that you've, you've got that sort of realism of, of this coming um, thing uh, to, to bear in mind. And also my song is Love Unknown is another one where you've got in one verse, you've got the first half of the verse, which is the crowds praising and um, you know shouting Hosanna and the second half, then crucify is all their breath. Um, so um, I would probably, go to those. Um, there was one other hymn that wasn't specifically so much Palm Sunday focused, but it's called Come Wounded Healer. Um, it's in Singing the Faith. <laughs> of course, it's by Martin Leckybush. Never quite sure how to pronounce his surname. Um, but in verse two, he says, come hated lover and gather us near. You're welcome, you're teaching, you're challenged to hear. Uh, where scorn and abuse cause rejection and pain, your loving acceptance makes hope live again. So um, I, I would probably be able to draw that into Palm Sunday in that we've got the um, the rejection to come. Um, but I like his, he, he you know, he contrasts quite well the, um, the wounded healer, the hated lover, broken victor is the third verse. Um, so I'd probably be tempted to use him but otherwise I did find it quite difficult the finding of songs for today. <laughs> Thank you that's a slightly more depth in in that uh, hated lover imagery um, and some, some, some of the options that are around. I always remember Carolyn Brock um, who was involved in the um, editorial committee of Rejoice and Sing at any opportunity railing against the inclusion of we have a king who rides a donkey. <laughs> we have a king and his name is Jesus. Hooray and up she rises or something like that. The chorus doesn't king is risen. <laughs> Jesus the king is risen. Um, I don't know why they didn't stick with hooray and up he rises like the original. <laughs> um, that would have done. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I wonder if remember the paucity of of new stuff available is just because people think it'll be drowned out by the traditional um just like you know people are reluctant to write new carols for christmas day because they or for christmas because they know that other stuff will be written although we don't get the same easter hymn competitions that we do like radio four run one don't they always there's a new carol um that's unveiled at christmas as a competition for writing a new carol um so maybe there's mileage there for budding hymn writers to, to to bring us something of something that involves those tensions that the two hymns that you mentioned certainly do certainly do have quite powerfully. Ruth, where 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 are you going with uh, imagery and and creativity and worship this week? I, I I was still on the sort of overturning expectations and trying to I think I want wanted to find something that would unsettle me a bit. Uh, or still more about Palm Sunday. Um, and I remembered um, the first time that I, uh, I think I saw the film of Jesus Christ Superstar in school. Um, so it wasn't the best way probably of seeing it, but I remember being struck by um, the um, Hey Zana, Hosanna song, um, because at first it sounds like a, you know, hey, da, 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 kind of, you know, everybody join in, lovely, happy. And then you realise that Andrew Lloyd Webber with the music, and I'm not a great fan, but he actually, I think this is one of his better bits of work, because um, he has that bit where the brass do that bit. It is kind of a a clash so he's recognizing that even in the you know everything's great there's still that whoa it's all going to go horribly wrong so he's got something of the tension in in the music uh, and tim rice with the words you know you, you you he is it's actually i think it's brilliant in that it draws you into a 
the questions asked of Jesus in, in the lyrics. So it does, it definitely takes on a dark turn. Um, and and so I was looking for a um, a, a version to to um, to share with you, and I I do love the version with Tim Minchin as Judas Iscariot because I think he's brilliant. But then I found this version, and I've got to do the whole sharing screen bit, um, where it's from. Well, it'll say on the screen where it's from. So as long as I get it right and remember to share the sound and find the right bit. Oh, hang on, I've got to open it. Oh, it's not offering it to me. Oh, the tension. The tension is building. <laughs> You've gone on mute, Ruth. How's that? That's okay. bad. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, let's try. You good? You probably didn't hear me burbling. Um, so it says it's from Paramount Theatre in 2017. Only 36 seconds, which I'll play. Jesus is black, mm. um, which I thought hmm, about time too, because because what I found difficult about some of the other versions, thinking about the first version I saw, you know, where the whole cast was white, um, then you get to to versions where oh well no that's not true Judas was black, yeah, um, then you you get to versions where sometimes you find um, the high priest with the really deep gravelly voice. Um, might be played by somebody who's black and you think ouch so finding somewhere where jesus is black again it just kind of overturns those expectations it just maybe it would be unsettling for a congregation but maybe maybe palm sunday is a day to be unsettled yeah but you, you you've all made me think about this whole crowd thing and waving of palms and watching that made me think again um, and I, I, I'm not sure where I've got to now um, in thinking thinking this through because I don't know. Um, some people have been watching um, the new series um, on Netflix about um, uh, the the outbreak of AIDS, uh, how that impacted um, a, a particular community that are portrayed in the series. What's it called again, Ruth? It's, it's a sin. It's a sin, but it's, it's Channel a, Four. Channel it's, Four. It's not Netflix. It's Channel not Four. Netflix. It's a sin, and I, I, a lot of people I've spoken to saying, you know, episode one is just full of joy and and oh, isn't, aren't these times great that the world is opening up, and yet in the back of your head you know what's going to happen, um, and it's all the more powerful for being. For that, I think that was deliberate um, to to show it with such you know such a joyful um, scenes of, of the world opening up for these people. Um, and I wonder if the same is true about Palm Sunday. Um, I, I remember seeing something about um, Bloody Sunday, um, and I remember seeing some documentary footage of how that procession started out, um, and people were you know they had children. Um, they had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, and somehow to see the footage at the beginning and people had these high hopes of what this demonstration was going to be um, made it all the more powerful knowing what was going to happen. And I wonder if that's 
can also be the case with palms that we shouldn't maybe shouldn't shy away from saying okay they didn't know what was going to happen and they were in lost in this moment of maybe this was their time um and, and this was the savior um who would answer their hosanna yeah ruth just wondered if it's too soon to make a parallel with the capital and trump and you know wow um i don't know i i, I almost don't think it let alone say it um but the idea that you know that was about whatever it was about supporting trump and then there was this kind of so let's go down and show them what we think um that that led to five or six people dying which um you know it's it's trying to think your way through what happens with crowds what happens with conflict what happens with protest mm. and remembering that all of that was happening because jerusalem then as now was a powder keg mm. absolute powder keg looking for a messiah under every rock i think mm. as i once read somebody wrote they were looking for a messiah under every rock <laughs> um, and it wasn't the first time that uh, a would-be messiah had marched into Jerusalem. They knew what could they knew what could happen um, and what might happen. I, I went down um, a, a, a track. I wasn't expecting to do the same thing again. We're all doing it now. I just need to share my screen. I'll talk you through the whole process of sharing my screen. Um, a, a, a track that I kind of wasn't expecting to go down because uh, it was something I was aware of, but had never connected to um, Palm Sunday. And that is um, 1968. Um, there was a, a mule train um, in America that journeyed to Washington. Um, uh, inspired, I think, by Martin Luther King, who uh, wasn't alive to see it arrive in Washington. Um, but it was is partly his inspiration. Um, and the, obviously the association with the mule and with particularly, I'm going to play a couple of minutes of this. This is a, this was a, um, uh, a, 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 a photograph report, documentary reporter who made his career out of starting with this event and his recollections of this event. And part, I'm going to play up to the point, so I'm going to play a couple of minutes, up to the point where he describes the crowds responding to this mule train uh, and what it was about. Um, so here you go. I was trying to understand what was going on in America. I couldn't understand why all these people were being killed and what forces in the country was creating this and why. You're young, so you think this is supposed to be a democracy. Roland Freeman found his calling in the spring of 1968. Drawn to the ideals of the civil rights movement, he came to Marks, Mississippi to document the journey of the mule train. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. envisioned the mule train as part of a national poor people's campaign. But King died before it started. The caravan moved through the South to join some 50,000 protesters in the nation's capital. The mule train was Freeman's very first project, the first in a long career devoted to documentary photography. This was the first undertaking of its type that I ever ventured to try. And I basically thought I knew what I was doing, but I really didn't. I had a little tape recorder with me. I had two cameras that weren't the greatest. I was watching what was going on and taking pictures here and there. I had never been to school for photography. It was all a matter of feel, you see. And some days, you know, were better than others. But it seemed like I was constantly moved by the spirit of the people. Going down the highway never ceased to amaze me 
when you see people's reaction to the mule train, folks that didn't have hardly nothing sharing everything they had with you. I mean, y'all come on in. I'm cooking some cornbread. I'm making a pot of beans. They gave you what they had from the heart. They wish you well from the heart. Black folk, they understood. People brought their children out. They were holding up their babies. They wanted you to see what was happening. Folks understood. Nobody thought it was a joke. Okay, I'm going to leave all of that on. It plays on for about um, five or six minutes, and you can find that on YouTube if you type in Mule Train and videos. Um, it's just very moving. Um, the, the tears he has in his eyes, he describes how that train is greeted, not always with open arms, <laughs> um, as you can imagine, along the way into Washington. And if you look on um, uh, <clears throat> Google images, you can find tons of his photographs, absolutely um, sort of really moving and powerful photographs of, of what was happening there. It said that Martin Luther King kicked off this campaign as he went to a town and he was talking about the experience of poor people and uh, a teacher described how, or it was, no, he, while he was there, they had an apple and they cut the apple into eight pieces and each of the children had one piece each. Um, and he said, people need to come and see this. He invited the politicians to come and see it. They came and nothing happened. Uh, so he said, well, the only way we can do this is for the poor people to go to Washington, which is how the mule train idea was born. So that's got obvious parallels. Um, there's several directions you could go with that. It's a really, really powerful story to tell um, with some of the pictures that he's in. There's, there's tons of these pictures, I think, that you could create something quite powerful from if you if you wanted to. Uh, the other thing um, that I thought I might do, although I think that's probably the direction I'll go in, is um, to look at the psalm. My version of this psalm talks about God's steadfast love enduring forever. Uh, the phrase they have, uh, some have kindness, uh, but I prefer the, the, the translation steadfast love. And just for larks, um, I looked at the thesaurus um, for other words for steadfast. <laughs> uh, what, does, what does God's steadfast love mean? And the red ones are ones that are be the best matches and the yellow ones are sort of partial matches. Um, I wonder what it would mean for people to go through and, and just reread that phrase and insert instead of steadfast some of those words and describe God's abiding love, God's adamant love, God's stubborn love, God's unflinching, we already used that word, God's unflinching love, God's unswerving, unwavering, unyielding, intense, relentless. And I think that would be just a really powerful way of bringing out what it is John, uh, what it is the psalmist is trying to get at. Um, stubborn, God's stubborn love, or God's rigid love, maybe doesn't sound quite as warm as we might want it to sound sometime. Uh, unbending, unfaltering, unquestioning, wholehearted. So I thought there was mileage in that. Um, and because there's mileage in that, there's possibly also mileage in the opposite um, that might describe our love, um, the opposites or the antonyms for steadfast, I think the word is antonym, um, are afraid, false, pliable, unreliable. Um, so you could craft something or some prayer or some liturgy that talked about God's steadfast love and our wavering, yielding, weak, irresolute, disloyal love um so yeah that's where i went i would probably go with the mule train um and uh with the idea of processions and crowds and how they end up and where they go and um and some of that uh maybe that also links in with um the clip ruth showed us from uh jesus christ superstar or was it godspell i always get those jesus two mixed christ up superstar. jesus christ superstar and having a black jesus in there um and the 
reaction that still gets from people. Um, it's not everybody who maybe would see that would say, great, look, at last. Um, I can imagine other reactions to that um, as, as the crowds gather to watch that video clip. Um, there'll be a range of stuff going on. So um, it's however a rich theme as we embark upon Holy Week. Has anyone got any final thoughts to add? I, I think I wanted to say, uh, and I hope this goes without saying, and some, something of what I think um, we've tried to share in this episode is that this task of preaching um, opens up wells and taps and geysers and fountains in us um, that we don't always want to visit. Um, preaching these texts at this time in this week um, is tough. Um, it, if it wasn't tough, we wouldn't be doing it right. Um, and I think I'd want to invite preachers to take care, take care of yourself, look, look after yourselves this week. It's not all about giving Holy Week to your congregation. It, it has also to be about living Holy Week yourself um, and looking after yourself as you try and take others on that journey. So we do want to leave you in prayer because we recognise what a task this is and how deep this uh, reaches into our lives. So um, I'm going to invite Ruth to lead us in prayer. Uh, and in fact, I'm not in that I'm going to use the prayer from the prayer handbook for Palm Sunday, uh, which is written by another Rachel, Rachel Pullman. And so I'll offer Rachel's prayer for all of us. And that's another resource we could all use. So let us pray. Gentle Christ, you set your face to Jerusalem, the place of trial, of torture and death. Surrounded by noise, by expectation and hope. Love unknown. Vulnerability unrecognised. Gentle Christ, we will walk with you. We will weep with you. We will watch with you. Our eyes on you. Our hearts with you. Our lives for you. In humility. In awe in peace. Amen.